0: How's everybody doing tonight? Woo. I'm Mark, and uh, I gotta tell you, it was so cool to come back this evening and see a fully staffed red eye with people getting lattes and all sorts of stuff, and, and people greeting, and just so cool to see you guys taking ownership of this uh, of our worship gathering. It's just, uh, yeah, I just that's what it should be, you know. I, I just uh, and if. Um, so, I mean, this, this is our worship gathering, and if we're, we're not doing it, you know, people aren't going to come in and do it for us, so, uh, you know, it's important, and just uh, thank you. It was very cool coming in and, and seeing that and uh, being able to get some coffee served to me and, and stuff like that, so very cool. Thank you very much. So, I've been gone the past couple of weeks. I've actually been uh, part of that time in Alaska, and... Uh, it's just a, just an amazing time. It was my parents' uh, 50th wedding anniversary. Like, uh, I just, I, most of us, we don't even know what 50 years is, right? I mean, it's like 50 years. Like, when I got my first mortgage, uh, I signed a 30-year mortgage, but I was like 26. And I'm like, this bank is so irresponsible. I don't even know what 30 years, you know, is. And I'm signing away for the next 30 and it's extending out and, and stuff like that. But 50 years, you know, and they wanted to go on a cruise uh, up into Alaska. And let me tell you, if you have not been to Alaska, that's just God showing off. I mean, like, just the the glaciers. And I went on this one run up in, uh, ran uh, about a mile up into this mountain. a guy had told me about it, a local, and crested the hill in this just... Uh, This beautiful lake and just, uh, it was just incredible. It's definitely put it on your bucket list to go to Alaska and uh, spend some time up there. It was just amazing. I had fish and chips, halibut and chips every day for lunch. Now, I felt nasty after a week. I got to tell you though. I like. I need to go to a detox, and you know, just like, ugh. but but it's good, you know. But you guys have been having a good time too. You guys started a series uh, that started as the whale, and now it's the wall, right? And uh, we moved the little guy over, little guy, and uh, looks more like the wall. And uh, at the the first week, Pastor Eric uh, kicked it off, really talking about. Uh, uh, an overview of who Nehemiah uh, was and talking about how we're basically going through his personal journal. I don't know if that just kind of blows you away, but we're reading a guy's journal who walked this planet 2,500 years ago. And a guy who whose heart broke for something, it broke heart, God's heart and, and actually did something about it. And we get to learn from him and from the uh, things that he did right and some of the things that he didn't do so well. And it uh, just really is a is kind of a, a, a model for us as we live our life. And I know that a lot of us, you know, maybe we look at, you know, like, well, I'm never going to be called to build a wall around Jerusalem, which is probably correct. Um, but the truth is, you know, we're told in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's masterpiece, created anew, in Christ Jesus 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 to do the things that he had planned for us long ago I mean we are told that each and every one of us are put in this particular place in this particular time because God has planned for us to do something and and in order for us to be part of that plan that vision that he has for our lives you know we have this the scripture here and, the, and, and Nehemiah's journal to, to go through and hopefully apply things that he learned along the way into our lives so we can be more effective. So even though we may never build a wall, we are called to something. And Eric, the first week talked about really the beginning of that is allowing your heart to break for things uh, that breaks God's heart actually feeling. You know, so much of our our lives, you know, we, we try to fill our lives with distractions, you know, movies and entertainment. No, there's not, nothing wrong with those kind of things, but a lot of times we use those as distractions so we just don't feel. And for people of God, that's a real problem because, you know, Allowing ourselves to feel what God feels and to see what God sees is, is the starting point for us to be the tangible hand of Christ. You know, if, we, if we're not humble, if we don't feel, we won't respond. If we don't see poverty, if we don't see hurt, if we don't see need and we don't feel like there's an injustice there, or that, that we are meant to be the tangible hand of Christ. If we don't allow ourselves to feel that pain, we're not going to do anything about it. So that was the first thing that we learned, that, you know what, we have to, we have to feel pain. We have to feel the things that, that break God's heart. And like it or not, we are the ones, we are the ambassadors of, of Christ here on this earth to, to, to be that tangible hand. The next week, Pastor Dan, the tall one over there, uh, he he talked about how we need to be ready and be living a life of health, kind of like the series that we talked about early uh, last last time. Uh, immersion, living a, in a place that we're living emotionally and physically and and spiritually uh, and intellectually healthy life, and and being prepared to respond to God's call, and Pastor Dan was very, very clever. He was saying that you should not let your response ability, like not being healthy, get in your way of your responsibility. All right. I thought it was very clever, very, very clever. You get it. Okay. I don't know when I read that, I thought that was very clever. I'll definitely um steal that and make it my own uh, uh but yeah, just really you know this idea that that we can, when our heart is broken, when we see something that 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 God wants us to be part of to be in a place financially or health wise that we can actually respond to that calling, one of the things that breaks my heart uh, when somebody feels like you know that their heart has been broken for something of God and they feel that God is calling them but they can't do it because they're just not ready they're not healthy enough or they're financially in debt or something like that and they can't just go and do what God has called them to do so so that's the first couple of weeks that that we learn from the life of Nehemiah is is let our hearts break for the things of God and to be healthy and to be ready and for, to respond to that call. And this week, we're going to see if this vision, the vision that you have, the, the, if it is time, are you ready to move forward with this thing that, that God has called you to do? See, the truth is that all visions from God are aren't meant to be done immediately, that there's things that need to happen. We have to honor the process. A lot of times we'll get an idea in our head and we want to, you know, take care of it right away. You know, we, we, we see somebody who's hungry or a group of people that are hungry or, or there's a, some sort of disaster and we want to just run out and help, which is, you know, this, this beautiful response but a lot of times, that could be more damaging in the long haul, and th- and maybe that vision won't come to fruition, or maybe you actually hurt, end up hurting the people that you are trying to help. So tonight, we're going to be talking about, are you ready? Am I ready? Are we ready to to really move forward with the vision that God has entrusted to us? Are we ready to do the things that he has planned for us long ago? So if you open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11. Again, this, this is Nehemiah's journal, so it's written in the first person. So I arrived in Jerusalem. So he's traveled a thousand miles and he gets to Jerusalem. And three days later, three days later, it's like, what did he do for the three days? You know, he arrives at Jerusalem, the next sentence is three days later. Well, I'd imagine he probably did what you and I would do. You know, he'd unpack, he'd arrange his sock drawer, make sure his underwear was, you know, color-coordinated and in a row... You know, all this kind of stuff, found out where the best coffee house was. You know, he's just kind of unpacking and, and getting ready. He's not rushing into things. He's not walking into Jerusalem and, and trumpets sounding and saying, Hey, I'm Nehemiah. And everybody's just like, So, you yeah, know, I just, you know, I'm here to rebuild the wall. That's not how he's coming in. He's coming in very deliberate, almost kind of under the radar, even though he has the approval from the king, right? That the king has said that he can, you know, get his forest, you know, go into his forest and get wood to help with the rebuilding, that he can come in, that he has the authority under the king. He doesn't come in that way. He comes in very quietly. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. And he's sitting there, and you know, this picture is starting to emerge of a guy who's, who, who, who's definitely had his heart broken, right? For the things of God. That, that he knows that God has called him to do this. That he's in a place, professionally and relationally and, and, and emotionally, that, that he can come and, Do the task. But he hasn't told anyone yet. He's assessing the situation. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. Continues on and says this. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went through the valley gate past the jackal wall. So if you could kind of uh, think about the walls of Jerusalem, they're, they're kind of like an oblong uh, shape, almost like the shape of like a small, narrow Africa. And he's coming out the west gate, and he's going to go counterclockwise around the wall. And he's going south, past the jackal wall, and over to the dung gate, that sounds great, huh, to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. I'm hoping that the king's pool is far from the dung gate, right? But my donkey couldn't even get through the rubble. I, I just, I love the imagery here. I and mean, this place is such a mess that he couldn't even ride his donkey through because the rubble was so bad. I don't know if you've ever been to a third world country, uh, but this happens quite a lot where where like a building will collapse or a wall will collapse, and you'll be going down a street, and you just have to stop. You can't go any farther because of all the rubble. And, you know, there's nobody to call. You can't call your congressman or something and say, hey, there's a bunch of rubble in the road. You should do something about it. No, in a third world country, you don't really have that structure. So what you do is what Nehemiah did. He turned around. He went another way. Which other way did he go? I don't know. Oh, here, it was still dark. And he went up through Kidron Valley instead, and, and then instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered the valley gate. So, back where he went. So, really, essentially, all he could do was actually survey about a third of the wall. He didn't even survey the whole thing, but he got a very good idea of what the situation was on the ground. And this is very telling, you know, when. When we feel like we have this, this, this God-sized vision of, of what we should do, that there's this wisdom in taking some time before you announce it to the world, even if you have the authority to do it, to, to take the time to really assess the, the situation. Many years ago, there was a guy who came here to E3, and he uh, uh, he after the gathering he pulled me aside and and he said hey I just travel from around the country from church to church on on each Sunday and I observe and then after the 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 worship service um, I'll encourage the pastor and I'm like oh cool I'm always up for some encouragement right so I said well encourage away you know and After that, he just started berating, like, all the things that he observed that was wrong with our church. And I was like, after a while, I'm like, stop, I can't take any more encouragement, right? I just, yeah, the the reality is that any one of us could go into any organization and spend a certain amount of time there and point out things that are wrong, right? Right? That, that any one of us could like put a secret Big Brother camera in somebody's home and, obs- and, and see what's wrong, you know, watch for a little bit and then just make a laundry list of things that are wrong. But that does not help the situation and, and, and Nehemiah gets into that. In verse 16, he continues on and says, The city officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing. For I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken with the Jewish leaders, the priests, the noblemen, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. So he didn't just walk in there and announce his trumpets and say, fix this, fix this, fix this, I saw this, I saw this, fix this. No, he's getting a detailed understanding of what is going on. And he didn't say anything until he did that. And then he cast the vision in verse 17. But now I said to them, you know very well the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God has been on me. And about my conversation with the king, and in this one paragraph, we have Nehemiah outlining the four components of an effective vision. And again, this is an effective vision if you a way to do it if you are building a wall around Jerusalem, or if you're trying to raise your family or live, you know, a godly life in the in the marketplace. That. These are are the four components of an effective vision. The first one is he addresses the problem. He took the time to understand the problem, and then he addresses it. He says this, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, this is where a lot of people get kind of sideways. They think stating the problem is the vision. The problem, stating the problem is never the vision. The solution is the vision. Do you think that the people who were living in Jerusalem didn't know that their walls were, were crumbled and in rubble? That their gates have been burned. It had been for generations. That's like your dad's dad, dad. Right? It wasn't like Nehemiah came in and he's all like, Hey, go back. You know the trouble we're in. The, 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 the walls are in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Like all the officials didn't go, oh, oh, you're right. We never realized. Thank you, Nehemiah. We will get right on that. No. He's simply stating the obvious that everyone knows. What is powerful is the next thing, and that's the solution. And that's what vision is. Vision is a solution that it works within the the confines of the resources that God has entrusted to you to, to solve that problem. He says, look, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, you know, he didn't say let's build them back up to their original splendor. He didn't do that. He actually understood the resources that God had entrusted to him, the scope of the project. And actually, he built the walls in a much smaller footprint. But he cast the vision of it happening. And though I think one of the most important things is the second word there. Can you read that? Us. Us. Let us rebuild the walls. To me, that... That's a, that's a huge thing because, you know, when the guy came and encouraged me, he was saying, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this. It's like, whoa. And you don't know the challenges and you don't know the resources that this church uh, has been entrusted with. You haven't taken the time to get to know who we are. And you don't have any investment in this place. You're just going to go and do the same thing at the next place. And Nehemiah could have very easily done that. He could have come in there and said, you guys need to do this. And they probably would have agreed, yeah, this needs to be done. But how? And here with this this one word and saying, you need to rebuild the walls. He says, let us do it. I am here. We can do it To together and then he continues on and he gives the reason he gives the reason because it let's end this disgrace you see it was a disgrace because the people of israel were not just another people group that they were the children of god very like the churches today that we are the 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 physical representation, the physical manifestation of Christ here on earth. That's what we're meant to be, at least. And when we fall short of that, when the church isn't doing what the church is meant to do, that, that is a direct direct uh, uh, view of, that people have on God. And this is what he's saying. He's like, with the, with the walls all crumbled and the gates all burned and you're just sitting there and you're all okay with it, you are bringing disgrace on who God is or how people view God. And we need to do something about it because you can't say that our God is all powerful when his people are in disarray. And then the final thing is he gives the timing for it because the truth is, You know what? The problem has been for generations. And really the solution, let's rebuild the wall, well, yeah, duh, right? That's meant to happen. And the reason, well, you know what? They've been God's people for generations and generations and generations, so that's not new. So why now? And this is what he says, Then I told them about the gracious things. Hand of God that had been on me and the the conversation that I had with the king, you see Nehemiah had a decree from the king saying, Look, you can do this in fact, you could go into my forest and cut the lim- lumber and the limber and the lumber and and come in and rebuild the gates, and you have my my authority to do this so he 's like, Look t- that now is the time that that it's time to strike. If he didn't have that, it probably wouldn't have been the time. But the time was now. So he unpacks these four things. He, you know, addresses the problem after he assesses it. That he proposes a, a, a solution that is, that, that is in the confines of the resources that were entrusted to him. Gave the reason why and then gave the reason why now. Now this translates, again, this translates into our families, this translates into our workplace, it translates into our church. And I mean, think about it this way. Say that you have like a 14-year-old daughter. I don't know if anyone in this room has a 14-year-old daughter, but maybe they do. And say that your 14-year-old daughter wants to go out of the house in like a, a micro skirt. That's a problem, right? that's a problem. Now, you can go a couple of different ways on this. You can say, oh, 14-year-old daughter, you are not going out of the house dressed like that. And either she says, okay, or she changes and then at the first, you know, gas station, changes back into her micro mini skirt, right? That's how it happens. It's true. I mean, I mean, that's about about what's going to happen. Or, you can cast a compelling vision with these four things, you know, the, to to present it to your your fourteen year old daughter who wants to leave the house in a micro mini skirt. You can go and, and say, look, you know what? That skirt, it will bring you some attention, but it's probably not the attention that you want. You see, you're a beautiful, complex individual that you're smart and you're compassionate and that, you know, you're loving. But if you dress like that when you go out, that that men aren't going to see that. They're going to see one thing. They're going to see a piece of meat. And, you, and the problem is that you're communicating something that you are not. Yes, you're physically beautiful, but you know what? When you dress like that, you're communicating something to, so, to other people that that's not true about you, or at, at least it minimizes who, how precious and beautiful and complex you really are, and is that what you really want and then you know you move on to the solution well, obviously you want a floor length dress and a Victorian collar, right? It's very hip and very fashionable no but but something that that obviously. Shows off her physical beauty, but doesn't detract from the complex beauty that that she is. And then the reason, well, men are pigs, right? I mean, that's uh, they want one thing. Savannah's here. Several years ago, I was giving my all men are evil speech to the girls. And Savannah goes, mm-hmm, that's right. My mom told me. That's good parenting there. It, it is. So there's the reason men only think about one thing so you don't need to encourage them and then why now? <laughs> well cuz i said so. no. uh why now? why now? well you don't want to you don't want to give any, you know, uh have people still thinking less of you than you, who you really are. right? And this is the the point where where she she would turn to you and and say Oh, thank you, a wise and benevolent Father. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, okay. We continue on in the text. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall, so they began the good work. See, it can happen. It can happen. You know, I wish it happened that way all the time, I, I you know, but it's... Uh, I can tell you this. I know a lot of visions. I know a lot of people who who have these wonderful visions, and I, I have no doubt that they're from God, but they just never come to fruition. I have a very dear friend in California who's one of the most creative people that I know, that he has these great visions all the time. He has this. He allows his heart to break for the things of God. He has patterned his life so his response ability doesn't get in the way of his responsibility. But he usually births it too early. That it actually, sadly, to this point, I don't believe any of his, his visions that I believe were from God have been able to fully come into completion. Because, you know what? There's a process, and you have to honor the process. There's a timing to things, and there's, there's, there's a way that you um, roll it out. And Nehemiah is showing us that. And even when you do that, and even when... Everybody says, that's a great idea. Let's do it, which can't happen sometimes. There's still going to be pushback. There's still going to be pushback. Nehemiah had that. He had three guys in his life, a guy named Sam Ballot. There's a guy named Tobiah. And there was a guy named Geshem the the Arab, right? And, And these guys that... They scoffed at him. In fact, they, they didn't only scoff at him. They scoffed at him contemptuously. How rude. And they said, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? There's these guys. They weren't even part of the nation of Israel. And they're sitting there, and they're scoffing at Nehemiah contemptuously, and they're all like, ha, are you rebelling against the king? You know, when you have a God-honoring vision, I can guarantee you that there's going to be people who scoff contemptuously at you. One of the things that I always tell a new church planner or somebody who's going to birth what what they believe is a vision from God. As I said, you know what? You have to be so clear in your mind that this is what God has called you to do, that you are willing to let your best friend laugh at you and turn their back on you. You have to be that clear because social pressure can derail your vision every time. I remember about a year into E3, there was people scoffing contemptuously at our church. There was even a couple of pastors who had picked it up in the pulpit and were preaching against our type of church. And people were coming to me and saying like, wow, you know, they're saying some pretty nasty stuff and this and that. And it was breaking me. It was just... uh, I I couldn't understand. I was just a guy who wanted to tell people about Jesus. And why were people scoffing and being just so, just ugly? And I remember falling to my knees one day when it was particularly bad. And I was praying and I had to come to a decision. Am I here for the approval of these men? Or did I come here for the approval of God? And I chose the approval of God. And sometimes, I would say probably more often than not, that Satan is going to take out all the stops and you are going to have criticism and scoffing from places that you never dreamed. And if you do not have it clear in your mind that this is what God has called you to do, you will probably buckle. And then finally, he responds to him. I I just, I love how he responds to him. He says, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We his servants will start rebuilding the wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historical claim in Jerusalem. Now, let's go back. What was their question? Are you rebelling against the king? And his answer, the God in heaven will help us succeed. These guys who are scoffing at him, and they're like, are you here rebelling against the king? And they're trying to criticize him and sharpshoot him and all this kind of stuff. He doesn't even spend any time on, on the logistics. His logistics were square. He jumps right over Arxerxes, who is the king, and says, my king, God has called us to do it, and you have no place here. People sit in the stands all day long in sharp shoot. It's just reality of life. And what you need to be able to do is to be so sure of God's calling that you don't even have to spend any time answering their scoffing. You just point and say, you know what? I serve one God. And this is what he has called me to do. And you have no right to be sharpshooting into this. Now, it doesn't mean that Nehemiah didn't have any accountability because if he went back, remember how he was casting the vision and he told the people who was part of his community, let me tell you about the gracious hand of God in my conversation with the king. Obviously, he laid out his decree for those people because those people mattered. Those people were part of the solution, but the people who were not going to be part of the solution, he just completely ignored. And that's the final lesson that I think that we need to take from Nehemiah this evening. I don't know what God has called you to do. But I do know this. You are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do the things that he has planned for you long ago. It's just a matter of discovering what that is. You're not responsible for every problem, but you are responsible to be the solution for the thing that God has envisioned you to be the solution for. Be solution makers. Be that person. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for this place that we get to open up your word that you've entrusted to us. I thank you for Nehemiah's journal, preserving it for 2,500 years so we can just take from its wisdom. God, I pray that it encourages us and equips us and edifies us to really grab hold on to the vision that you have for our lives. That even though you may not be calling us to build a wall, you are calling us to build a community. And you are calling us to be your tangible hand in this lost and hurting world. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.